series uh, that uh, we've called Heart and Soul, where we've been exploring this idea, how do you live from the inside out? And uh, as you know, we live in a world that has a lot of external inputs. Uh, in fact, you know, you may have experienced some of those external inputs this week. You know, your barista doesn't get your coffee just right. Anybody, anybody, right? There, there, there's that driver that's driving, you know, maybe it was Pastor Aaron doing 45 and a 55. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Right? There are a lot of outside inputs that can affect the inside, right? And that's the world in which we live because uh, the best it can do is kind of give her all these outside inputs, but they can kind of mess with how we live and mess with kind of how we see things. But when we look at the Word of God, when those who are followers of Jesus Christ, what we understand is that Jesus wants us as his followers, as believers, as disciples of Jesus, to live from a different place. In fact, he wants us to live from the inside. Side out. And we've been using this little text out of 3 John 2 that, that says, may it go well for you and be, you be of good health as it goes well for your soul. And so over the last three weeks, we've been exploring this idea of the soul. The soul, your soul, my soul, is that part of you that is connected to the source of life. And in week one, we took a look at that, that idea. Week two, we, we asked and answered the question, hey, you can't do that in your own strength, but God gives you his personal presence, the Holy Spirit, to walk with you. And then last week, Pastor Aaron did an amazing job uh, introducing us to what will be for the next few weeks a series of habits or disciplines, practices that help our soul stay connected to the source of life. And that's really what I want to talk about today. We're going to talk about another habit of the soul, another practice, another discipline, a spiritual discipline that if we could apply that to how we live life, it will help our soul stay connected to God and it will help us live from the inside out. I love this quote that I, I, I saw on, the, all the best quotes are on Instagram or Twitter, okay, just FYI, but, but this was, a, this was a, a tweet that I saw this week by a, a, a lady by the name of Jan Wilkins, and uh, she's an executive pastor at a church down in Texas, and uh, she said this, she said, spiritual disciplines, or I'm going to use the word habits, spiritual disciplines or habits nurture steadfastness. What we repeat in times of ease, we will recall in times of of hardship. And I thought, man, that's a powerful statement that she's making. And what she's saying is that those of us that are followers of Jesus, we want to develop a series of habits, a series of disciplines, a series of practices that, that when things, you know, when we're just kind of going through the routines of our day, uh, that we would put those things into practice. They'd become habitual for us. That when we go through the challenging, difficult times of life, and how many of you know there are challenging, difficult times of life? Uh, just a word of warning, you're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or going into a trial, right? I mean, that's just kind of life. If you've lived life long enough, we recognize there's tough times. But what she's encouraging us to do, and I think the Bible does the same thing, is that, the, that we're encouraged to develop habits that will sustain us. Now, your relationship with Jesus, your soul's connection to the source of life is something that you've got to give attention to. How many of you know, uh, many of us in the room are married, uh, or maybe you're in a relationship, and, and just like the relationship that you have with your spouse, just like the relationship with you, have, you have with your kids, you have to give attention to those relationships to nurture and develop healthy relationships, don't you? 
And so the same is true when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Our soul's connection to the source of life needs to be something that we give attention to. And what we recognize, and this is what I love about what Pastor Aaron preached last week, is that as he was talking about this idea of devotion to Jesus, he was encouraging us, reminding us, pointing out the truth of God's word, that it's worth giving up everything to devote ourselves to follow him. In fact, the Bible teaches us that it's not the rewards. There's, how many of you know when you follow Jesus, there's all kinds of benefits. There's all kinds of good things that come into your life. There's peace, there's wisdom, there's kindness, there's a community that he puts, a, puts us together with. But what we recognize when we read the Bible is that Jesus is our reward. This connection with Jesus is what gives us life, what allows us to live life, what sustains us, what allows us to move forward. In fact, Tim Keller this week in another tweet, it was like they were helping me write my sermon this week. It was crazy. But Tim Keller said this, he said, the sin under all other sins is the lack of joy in Christ. Let me say that again. The sin under all other sins is a lack of joy in Christ. In fact, the Westminster Confession says it this way. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper actually changes it a little bit. He says, it's to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And isn't that the picture that we see when we look at the book of Genesis? When we look at the origin of the human story, when we look at the origin of all creation, it was this relationship with God, this walking with him, being most satisfied in him, that was the original intent, what God created us for. And of course, it was the enemy that would come and question, I'm not sure, can you really trust God? I think God's holding something back. And so we want to be those who give attention to, who delight in, who enjoy, who are most satisfied by our relationship with Jesus. And as a result, I think there are some habits, some practices that, we'll, that if we will develop them in our life, will actually lead us to live this way from the inside out, from a place where our souls are deeply connected to the source. Now today, I wanna to look at a passage of scripture. If you've got your Bibles, and I encourage you to do this, turn over to Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight. And we're gonna pick it up. Um, I'm gonna kinda, kinda describe a little bit, and we'll, we'll read a couple of verses in a minute. But, but what, what's taking place in Mark chapter eight is that Jesus is gathered with his disciples and he's gathered with this crowd of people. And he, say, he asks this question. He says, who do people say that I am? And a couple of the guys responded and said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the other prophets. And Jesus then personalizes this question. He says, well, who do you say that I am? And it's interesting because, you know, they were pulling from history. They were pulling from kind of their memory bank or what, who he might be. What is he, who is this person, Jesus? I mean, he's doing all this crazy, miraculous stuff. And that's a question that I think every human being has to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is Jesus just a good man or is Jesus the source of your life? Is Jesus just a noble character or his, a character from history? Or is Jesus somebody that you can walk with and know and personally be engaged with today? And so he says to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter, I love Peter. Peter gives me hope for humanity. 
I mean, Peter's the guy that kind of, you know, kind of speaks first and thinks later. You know what I'm saying? It's like, fire, aim, go, right? Like, it's just like, that's who Peter is. And so Peter, you can imagine, is probably sitting there going, you know, and he's a little bit like the teacher's pet. You know, pick me, pick me, pick me. Oh, I've got the answer. I've got the answer. And he says, you're the Messiah, son of the living God. And Jesus commands him. He says, man, you've, you've answered well. You've answered correctly. But then there's this really, and this was, by the way, a really big deal because the children of Israel or the Israelite nation had been waiting for this Messiah, this ruler, this rescuer to come and to save them. And then Jesus does the most strange thing. He says this. He says, I want you to keep it a secret. Don't, don't tell anyone. And instead, Jesus takes his disciples away from the crowd, and he then breaks the news that the salvation that they're longing for wouldn't come through revolution, but would come through surrender. And of course, it leaves the disciples like totally confused and perplexed. We thought there was a ruler, a king, a messiah that was going to come and overthrow the Roman Empire, and we're going to have kind of a national identity once again, and we're going to rule the earth like we were supposed to rule the earth. And yet Jesus comes to him and says, no, it's not coming through revelation or revolution. It's coming through surrender. And then classic Peter, and this is why I love Peter so much. Peter says this. He says, you can't talk like that, Jesus. If we're going to start a movement, you can't start a movement by talking about suffering and surrender. And then Jesus, in the strongest terms, I mean, like it was like the harshest terms possible. Jesus replies to Peter and he says this, get away from me, Satan. Whoa. You know, can you imagine, you know, your wife or your husband says something to you and you're like, get away from me, Satan, right? Like, here's Jesus like, whoa, gee, Peter, this is like one of your disciples. Get away from me, Satan. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. Isn't that powerful? That here's Jesus declared to be the Messiah declared to be the one that's going to make everything as it was meant to be, the savior, the rescuer. And he gathers his disciples once they begin to identify who he is. And he says, look, it's not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. It's going to happen through surrender. It's going to happen a different way. And then he says this, and this is where I want to pick it up. It says this in Mark 8, 34 through 37. If any of you wants to be my disciple. Now, can you imagine, here are his disciples Finally, it's the Messiah. I knew it. I just wasn't brave enough to say it. I knew this is the Messiah. And, and then he makes this really perplexing, confusing statement that it's not, we're not going to overthrow anybody. In fact, I'm going to willingly surrender my life. Can you imagine where their headspace is? I mean, what are they thinking? How confused or perplexed are they? And then Jesus steps into that moment and begins to talk to them about their life. And he says this, if any of you wants to be my follower, well, of course we want to be your follower. We've been following you all this time. We want to be your follower. But if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. That sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? Really? I thought we were just going to live in your wake, and you were just going to overcome everybody, and we were just going to dominate the earth, right? No, no, no. The way of the cross is the way of surrender. And if you want to be my follower, my disciple, I need you to do the same. He goes on and he says, if you're trying to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, 
you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? Oh, there it is, but lose your own soul. Is anything worth more than losing your own soul? And what Jesus is doing in this moment is Jesus is inviting his disciples. Jesus is inviting you, as, you and I as followers of Jesus Christ into a discipline, a habit, a practice that really would have perplexed and totally confused them. They're sitting there going, we thought you were going to be this ruler that was going to overcome, but now you're saying you're, you're, you're inviting us into a life of surrender? And, and you know, as, as the... As, they would have been hearing this, you know, recognizing that God's plan isn't for one of revolution, but one of suffering. And it probably would have left those disciples absolutely kind of in unbelief. Take up your cross and follow me would have, wouldn't have had any context for them as they heard Jesus say this. Jesus, I thought you were going to overcome the Roman Empire. What do you mean you want us to take up our cross and follow you? And then when Jesus is eventually arrested and tortured and killed, it completely rocks their world because we, we read that they end up just disappearing. In fact, Peter actually denies that he even knows Jesus. And so it must have been something that was completely confusing to these guys. They'd given up everything to follow after Jesus. This isn't supposed to how, how it's supposed to happen. This doesn't make any sense. But what Jesus is presenting to them is an example of a surrendered life. He would surrender his own life. How many of you know Jesus' life wasn't taken? Jesus willingly surrendered his own life. And what Jesus is now saying to these disciples who are going to follow after him is, I need you to do the same. To live a life of complete and utter surrender to him. Jesus is trying to help his disciples during this time together to make it clear that the way of Jesus is a way of surrender. Now, doesn't that sound like fun? Gareth, I'm just not feeling super encouraged today. But what we'll discover is that the way of surrender is the way of Jesus. It's actually the way that leads to the greatest way of life. Now, most of you know I grew up in Northern Ireland, um, or Ulster, which is a province that Northern Ireland is another, it's another name. Can everyone say that? Ulster. Oh, you guys sound so good. You're getting me ready. I'm, I'm flying back there in a week. You're getting me ready to go home, you know? And, uh, and in Ulster, it's really interesting, but you know, if maybe you know, maybe you don't know, but the troubles from the 1960s, and so I grew up with uh, terrorism, and the UVF, and the IRA, and war, and fighting, and thousands of people that were killed, uh, bombings. I remember being, I went to school right in the center of Belfast. I went to the Royal Belfast Academical Institution. <laughs> <clears throat> Sounds smarter than it is. But it was like this 300-year-old school, and it's right in the center of Belfast. And I remember being in math class, and about three blocks away, a 2,000-pound Semtex bomb goes up that just blows up that whole block. You know? So that was kind of my life. You know? I was very uh, used to it. People always ask me, well, how was it growing up there? It was like, I didn't know any different. That's all I knew, right? You know, Belfast, Beirut, I mean, it's all the same, right? <laughs> and so that's what I, what I grew up with. But one of the things when I was growing up um, is, that, uh, is, is that there was this little saying, which was this, no surrender. You have to say it just like that, by the way, okay? No surrender. 
And uh, in fact, I think I have a picture uh, because you would see this stuff all over Belfast. Uh, this is Loyalist West Belfast. Uh, welcome, no surrender. In fact, on the city hall that I would walk by, it would say, Belfast says no. There was a lot of negativity when I was growing up, by the way, you know? In fact, I was actually talking to my dad yesterday. It was his birthday. And I said, what'd you do? He says, oh, we went out, we went out for breakfast uh, to a little cafe. I said, oh, that's cool. What'd you get? You know, he's like, I got an Ulster says no fry. <laughs> I'm like, an Ulster says no fry. No to what? Oh, that's right. No to cholesterol. No to heart disease. It's a healthy fry. But, but we grew up with this kind of culture of no surrender, no surrender, no surrender. And it really is kind of a reflection of the human soul, isn't it? Because our sinful nature creates an appetite in us that says no surrender. No, I'm going to do it my way. No, I'm just going to keep moving forward. And I began to think about it this week. Why is it that we have such a hard time with this thought or this idea of surrender? And I think the first reason is this, is we all have control issues. Come on, turn to the neighbor, turn to your neighbor, say, you have control issues, right? Doesn't that feel cathartic? I mean, there's spouses that have been wanting to say that to each other for a long time. And it's just a healing moment right now, right? We all have control issues, right? In fact, the reason why is that very few of us like the unknown. Like, like how many of you like to kind of step into a space or a place where you don't know what's going to happen next or at least have some idea? And so like, you know, you get an invitation to a party. What's one of the first things that you ask? Who's going and what's happening? Why? Because you have control issues. So all of us have control issues. Let's just sort, sort through that, right? And there's a reason for me, you know, I've been mountain biking. Some of you have seen on social media, I've, I've mountain biked. I've just come to the conclusion, I enjoy mountain biking. I prefer road biking. You know why? Because I'm more in control. Like mountain biking is crazy. 25 miles an hour down a dirt trail with rocks and everything else. It's like, I'm out of control right here. I like to be in control. I like to be able to manage things. And, and it's true that every single one of us as human beings, we try, don't we, to control things. We try to manage things. We try to mitigate risk. We want to make sure that I know what's coming next. And here's the challenge. Many of us try to even control God. God, I'm only going to do that if you do this. Lord, I'm only going to respond to that if you let me know what's going to happen on the other side, right? Lord, I'm only going to maybe surrender that area of my life, maybe even confess that area of sin if I can manage what happens on the other side. And, and so what happens is that oftentimes in our devotion to Jesus, oftentimes in this idea of the inner life being connected to the source of life, we'll go part of the way, but we won't go the whole way. We'll surrender a little peace, but I got to keep some control. And what God is saying through Jesus, and, and we'll see it in the New Testament, is Jesus is wanting us to be fully devoted, as Pastor Aaron talked to us last night. Jesus wants to be those who are all in, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. But it's hard because all of us struggle with control. 
And the reality is that, that God doesn't rescue us from our sin and from our folly so that we can continue on in that stuff. God doesn't rescue us from a life where we have to be in control so that you know, we, we can get saved and get our golden ticket to heaven and, and then I'll just keep kind of moving on with my own idea of life. How many of you know that the way that God has planned for us is way better than anything that we could ever imagine? And if we would let God be completely and wholly in charge, what we, what we would discover isn't that everything works out perfectly, every, not the, because we live in a broken world with sin and broken relationships and all of those kinds of things, but what we would see is God carrying us. Sometimes he carries us up and over. Sometimes he carries us around. Sometimes he carries us right through the middle of the mess. And, and, and we need to be those who recognize, and I love this verse in Psalm 24, verse 1. It says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything belongs to the Lord. The world and all of its people belong to him. And actually what that ought to do is that ought to comfort us. And yet oftentimes because of the unknown, because of our control issues, we kind of go, I don't know if I can trust and that really is the second reason, I think, why we struggle with surrender. Number one, because we all have control issues. But number two, because we all have trust issues. <laughs> Go on, turn to your neighbor and say, come on, you have trust issues. <laughs> right? Come on, do it, do it, do it, do it. It's good, it's cathartic, just get it out there. Right? We all have trust issues. In fact, as I was putting this together and thinking about it, I think the reason why we have control issues is because we have trust issues. Because we don't know what's on the other side of that surrender, because we don't know what's on the other side of, Lord, I'm going to relinquish control and give it over to you, oftentimes it is, can God be trusted? Can I really trust God? What might God ask of me? What might he ask me to do? What might he ask me to give up? What might he want me to say or not say? All good questions, but oftentimes because we don't fully know and trust God the way he would want us to, we try to maintain control. We try to say, I've got to manage a little bit of this. And because we don't fully comprehend God's goodness, the extent of his faithfulness, how he never leaves us, he never forsakes us, he never fails us, how what he has in store for us is better than what we could even imagine or work out in our own strength, because we don't live with that kind of vulnerability or that kind of trust, we oftentimes have to take it into our own control. And all the way through the Bible, in fact, when you go back to the, the very start of the story, remember the serpent asked Eve a question, which was, did God really say? I mean, I know he told you not to eat of that tree right there. I think God's trying to hold something back from you. I think God doesn't have your best in mind. I think there's something around that corner that maybe you should go check that out yourself. And it got Adam and Eve in all kinds of trouble, and by default, it got our whole, uh, all of human race to live from this place of, I'm not sure that God has the very best in store for me. I'm not sure if I can really trust God, so I've got to maintain some control myself. But God's inviting us into, as Pastor Aaron said last week, God's inviting us into a fully devoted life, and that life begins with surrender. My question to you is, what if 
the safest, securest, best place to be is actually on the other side of surrender. What if God, who's faithful, who's motivated by his glory and his deep personal care for you, what if on the other side of that decision to trust him, to rely upon him, to lean upon him, what if on the other side of that, there's actually a life that you couldn't even begin to imagine? In fact, it says in Corinthians that eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And so even though we go through the valley, even though we go through challenges, even though we we go through difficult times, even though we want to maintain control, and even though maybe we lack trust, what if we took a step of surrender and discovered that on the other side was actually the safest, securest, best place that we could have lived? I love the example of Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 26, 38 says, he told them, and look at this, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He told his disciples, stay here and watch with me. He went out a little further and bowed his head to the ground, praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus' own example to those of us who follow him is not my will be done, but your will. Lord, not my way, but your way. Lord, not my best, but your best. And and we're called to follow that example. Look what it says in Philippians 2. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in the human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus constantly gives us this example, one of surrendering his life, one of surrendering his will, one of of surrendering his desires, one of even surrendering the privileges that were his as God. And Jesus leaves us example to his disciples to say, I want you to live a life of surrender. If it's a fully devoted life, it's probably going to start with surrender. And so the question as we kind of begin to wind up this morning is, what is surrender? And I think this, surrender is the act of becoming holy or fully God's. Not my will, not my way, not my privileges, not what I want, but Lord Jesus, I recognize that everything belongs to you, including me. And that you left the majesty and the splendor of heaven to come and rescue me. And Lord, if you did all of that for me, surely you have something in store for me that I can trust and believe in and relinquish control that I can give over to you. It's beautiful, but it's difficult. But it's this idea of saying, no, I'm a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Pastor Aaron last week, he just so encouraged us to recognize that, that, listen, everything else, as Paul said, is garbage for the sake of knowing him. You talk to uber-rich people, right? In fact, Tom Brady's actually, you can go Google this and research it. Tom Brady says, man, I've got all the money in the world to do everything I could ever want to do, and it doesn't fill me. It doesn't satisfy me. Now, most of us in the room would go, well, let me try at least, <laughs> Right? 
But what you discover about those who have the means to do whatever they want to do, it doesn't fill the hole. It doesn't connect their soul to the source of life. And what God is saying is that, that, that what will is when you're fully devoted, fully surrendered to Jesus, to this relationship with him. As it says in John 15, a branch grafted in to the vine that produces the kind of fruit that you can only begin to imagine. That's why John the Baptist said, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. He must increase and I must decrease. And so the first step in us becoming fully devoted, this idea of our soul being connected to the source of life is the act of surrender. I surrender all. All to you, I surrender Look, look what Jesus said, Matthew 16, verse 24 through 26. And Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? About Oh, about seven years ago, my wife and I were pastoring in New York, and um, the Lord spoke really, really clearly to us that our time in New York was done. We had taken a church there that had just been devastated by the failing of a pastor, and uh, he'd failed morally, he'd left ridiculous amount of debt, and the Lord moved us from Portland over to New York, and, and man, we had cried together and bled together and walked with this little tiny uh, congregation. And this congregation had become, grown to about 400 people from 75 over nine years. And, and the Lord spoke to us and said, hey, your time is done. What I brought you here to do is done. Um, and we had raised somebody up that was probably going to take that. And so uh, in obedience to the Lord, um, we said, okay, what's next? And it was like Abraham. You know when God called Abraham, he says, I want you to, you know, uh, follow me. Okay, where are we going? Just follow me. Ah, uh, but that's the unknown. Ah, I don't like the unknown. I want to know what's next, right? God, don't you understand? I have a wife and three kids and one of them's graduating next year. You know, like, come on, you know? And we went on this seven-month journey. And man, I, I can't go into all the details, but I was fasting and I was praying and I was seeking the Lord and I had those who would be kind of spiritual mentors to me. They were going, are you sure you heard from God? You know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, did I hear from God? I called it trembling trust, you know, <laughs> you know. And the Lord, I remember that moment going, no, 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 I know I heard from the Lord. And then it was like, I went into this season where it's like, God, why aren't you answering me? I'm obeying you, I'm following you. And there was this one night about 27 days before we had to move out, to our, out of our house. And I had no clue where we're moving. I had no clue what the Lord had in store. I just know that I was being obedient. And I remember the Lord kind of speaking to me that night. In fact, I remember the scene so clearly. I was sitting on the edge of my bed and I was ch chatting with Jenny. And I just flopped back on the bed. And I said, Lord, I give up. Like it was like I had nothing left. All the spiritual energy, all the faith, all the obedience, all the prayer, all the fasting, I got nothing left. Lord, I give up. I just surrender everything. And I went to bed that night. I woke up the next morning. 
And it was like the Lord, I actually remember it so clearly. I was going down the stairs and I put my foot on the bottom step off the carpet onto the tile by the front door and the Lord spoke to me really clearly and said, go back to Portland. Now remember at this point, it's been eight months of Lord, what are you doing? Where are you leading? How are you going? And I flipped around. I walk up the stairs and I said, Jenny, I think the Lord told us to go back to Portland. By the end of that day, we had somewhere to live. Uh, By the end of that week, I had a job. Uh, 10 days after that, someone said, hey, we want to pay for you to move across the country, right? Uh, How many of you know the Lord spoke, right? (laughs) But here's the thing. What I want you to see in the story is it wasn't until I reached that point of complete surrender. And I've got stories about houses that wouldn't sell, that all of a sudden sold. and, And every time, it's like the Lord brings me to this place of, are you completely surrendered to me? And it's in that moment when we wholly, fully become God, or become gods, that God moves in our lives in a miraculous, supernatural ways. The second thing is this, is that surrender isn't just us becoming fully God. Surrender is our first act of worship. This lifestyle of I'm devoted to you, Jesus, my soul connected to the source, It starts with surrender, and that surrender is our first act of worship. Look at this in Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is, look at this, your spiritual worship. It's spiritual worship. And and I just want you to see that, that, that surrender... Is, the, is us considering all that God has done through, for us through his son Jesus. And what Paul is saying is this life of sacrifice, this life of surrender, this life of relinquishing control that I have to manage it and I have to be the one in charge and I have to be the one that guides it all. And once again, we play a part, but we play a part only after we've surrendered to Jesus. And surrender really is our first act of worship. It's us saying, no, 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 not my will and way, your will and way. And here's here's the difference between surrender and resignation. Because we live in a world where there's so much despondency. And it's just like, I guess, que sera, sera. I'm resigned to whatever will be. And it's this kind of negative, kind of burden weight that just comes upon you. It's like, man, I guess I'm, you know, just whatever. It's one of the favorite words, right, of Gen Z. Whatever. That's resignation. That's not what Jesus is teaching his disciples. That's not what Jesus is teaching us as fully devoted followers of Christ. Resignation is loaded with despondency. What God's inviting us into is surrender, which has an abundance of hope, not because of you, not because of the circumstance, but because of who God is. God is the one who loves you faithfully. In fact, the Bible actually says this, when we lose faith, he remains faithful. We live out of his faithfulness. We can trust in his goodness, in his kindness. This Hebrew word has said he's faithful to his promises because he's motivated by deep personal care for you. He loves you like nobody else has ever loved you and ever will love you. And what Jesus is inviting you into isn't a life of resignation. Isn't a life of, okay, I guess that's the way it is. No, what he's inviting you into is a life of surrender and there's no better place to be because of who he is. 
because of how much he loves you. And what happens in that moment is not, oh God, I guess it is what it is. No, what happens in that moment, it's my first act of worship. Oh, my attention's coming off my circumstance. My attention's coming off of who I am. And my attention's beginning to focus on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. My attention's beginning to focus on the one who spoke and worlds got created. My attention's shifting off myself. Oh, and when I begin to see who he is, oh, when I begin to devote myself, as Aaron said last week, man, God, everything else is worth giving up for the sake of following you. Oh, it's in that moment it turns from resignation to surrender. You can have it, God. I worship you for who you are. I glorify you. And that really leads us to where I want to land the plane today, which is what if, as followers of Jesus, as those who want our soul to be intimately connected to the source of life, this idea of living from the inside out, what if the starting point of every morning was this habit of I surrender? Lord, I, I just surrender. In fact, it's the best way to start your day. And what if as you lay in bed, and my wife's been gone for two weeks, so I'm laying in bed a little bit longer in the morning, only because I don't want to wake her up when she's there. But over the last two weeks, I've just been laying in my bed. And you know, Colossians says this, I want you to set your mind on the things that are above. And I don't know about you, maybe you have your phone next to you, maybe you start flicking through kind of a news feed and all that kind of stuff. And there's things that can preoccupy our brain. Maybe you start thinking about work and things that have to get done, all that kind of stuff. What if every morning our first thought was one of I surrender? I surrender. Lord, this is your day, not my day. Lord, this isn't my life, it's your life. Lord, this family of mine is your family. It's not, Lord, you can care for them way better than I can, but I want to start in a place of surrender, a place of I'm relinquishing control, and I'm saying, Lord, would you have your way? Would your will be done? And what if we, as followers of Jesus, would live from that place every day? What might happen? I can guarantee you this. It's probably a whole lot better than trying to handle it in our own strength. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us just to stand together. I want you to close your eyes. We're going to sing a little song. It's an old song. In fact, some of you know it really, really well. But before we do, just in this atmosphere of, oh God, you're worth following more than anything else in my life. Everything else is a gift from you. It's a gift of grace. And you tell us to delight and enjoy those things. But Lord, I'm just, I just want to surrender my life to you. In fact, for some of you this morning, it might be for the very first time, I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm going to take my life out of my control and I'm going to put it in God's hands and let him have control. That's possible because of what Jesus has done for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. He says there's a new way to life, an abundant life. It's a life of me relinquishing control, me trying to do enough good things to overcome the bad things, the sin that goes on in my life. And so if that's you this morning, you're saying, man, for the first time, 
I want to put my faith, my trust, my life under his control, under his care. I want to step into that relationship. If that's you this morning, would you be bold enough just to slip your hand up to heaven and say, I want to trust Jesus that way. I want to put my life under his control. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we don't have to try and handle life in our own strength. But Lord, we get to yielding to you, surrendering to you, giving our life over to you. Lord, we enter into a new relationship because of your forgiveness of our sin and this welcome adoption as sons and daughters into the family, your family. Now, for the rest of us in the room this morning, I want you, in fact, Holy Spirit, would you just speak to each of us right now? Lord, what's the area, even as we just sing this song as a prayer, Lord, what area do you want us to surrender? Lord, what area of maybe control, what area maybe of sin, what area, Lord Jesus, of, of something that you've been asking of us, Lord Jesus, what area, Lord, do you want us to begin a habit of surrender around? Lord, I'm surrendering my struggle with sin. I'm surrendering my trying to control the finances or control that relationship. I'm going to surrender, Lord Jesus, this sense of half-hearted, maybe devotion. Now, Lord, today, I'm all in on you. I'm all in on giving it all over to you, recognizing that you are better and that your plans and your will and your way are better than anything I can do in my own strength. So Lord, as we sing this song together, Lord, let it be a prayer. Let us yield and surrender those areas to you right now. In Jesus' name, let's sing together.